This is Fintech Cappuccino, your Saturday morning podcast with a pinch of espresso on the why and how of Fintech. The show is hosted by Brian van Wachem, CEO of RedSnap, and I'm Connie Dorstein, founding partner of Bankify. Hey, Brian. Hey, Connie. It's time to plan our Christmas podcast. I want to do a fun roundtable interview with Don Gins of Holland Fintech, but, but I'm sure you have ideas too. Yeah, it's a great idea. And, and in fact, I was thinking about it, and I think we should ring in some old and new friends from um, our fintech scene to pick their brain on uh, the same topic so we get a slightly broader discussion. All right. And I made a short list of the themes we uh, should cover, to my yeah. opinion. Uh, neobanking, next generation internet, where's the money? And when are insurers finally going to move? What do you think? <laughs> your favorite one, the last one. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a good idea. But if, if that's your wish list, let me think. Some names pop up immediately. We should get Chris Skinner on the Neo and Challenger Banks. Right. I think Dave Burge has very outspoken views on the metaverse. And you know Roger Peverelli from uh, the Digital Insurance Agenda. So he covers InsurTech around the world. So if we, if I try and get those... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really think you can pull this off? You wait and see, you wait and see, you unfaithful one. All right, okay, I trust you. Bye, Connie. Bye, cheers. Gun crime into your right Uh, blue lights. Why did you choose this music? Well, I just really rely, like the, the the music style. It's really relaxing with a fat bass, and that's what's uh, what generally gets me relaxing uh, awake in the morning on Saturday. Uh, and I like the story behind it as well because I think it's actually it's it's a uh, it's a cautious story about the, the 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 tenseful relationship between the police and the black people in America, which I think is uh, worth listening to as well. Wow, that sounds heavy, uh, Don. So, so what do you normally do on uh, on a Saturday morning? I'm preparing myself to uh, coach uh, a girls' soccer team. All right, oh, that's tough. That's really tough. <laughs> exactly. So lots of coffee and uh, war- putting warm clothes on to uh, to actually uh, stand along the field and uh, coach some girls uh, having fun on the field uh, it's it's great fun to do it's a great way to start a weekend Holland Fintech was founded and headed by Don Ginsel and it supports an ecosystem approach to financial innovation since 2014 it provides access to knowledge a network investments and talent to more than 300 companies and connects people and organizations in the financial value chain so that the consumers and businesses can profit from innovation and its development. Don strongly believes that access in innovative financial services and fintech solutions can empower both people and their organizations to understand, overview and improve their economic circumstances. So there's a deeper meaning to Holland Fintech. Don, welcome again. So uh, glad you're on the show. Uh, we're going to discuss neo-banking, uh, the next generation internet, and the insurers. And we would like to discuss it with your help. So, um, But before we dive in, how was Holland Fintech in 2021? Well, thanks, Brian. I think you're asking here for a full crystal ball session. Uh, so it's going to be a tough one, but uh, definitely enjoyable. Uh, no, so 2021, I think, was, uh, was fun and it was uh, tough uh, a bit at the same time. I think, of course, uh, uh, with COVID and the fact that we actually, you know, we run a social uh, platform for everything that goes on in fintech, where, of course, we also are hampered by not being able to organize physical events uh, and uh, the limited uh, 
connectivity that we could actually produce in a, in a year like this. It all looked to go very well after summer, but of course we're now again in a form of lockdown uh, with all kinds of limitations. But generally I'm very positive that I think after a year and a half winter sleep, 2021 did turn out to have a much better business perspective, I think, for a lot of our members. And at the same time, I think we also use also the, the, the setback in the, the way what we could organize in, to turn it into a positive thing to actually sort of reinvent ourselves, figure out how we could actually create stronger ties with the members that we support, as well as uh, create the right infrastructure for it. So, for example, we launched uh, working groups and peer groups to actually create much more activity between members. Uh, we've installed a new board uh, and we, for example, launched a member portal where we've created this, this online platform for everyone to be in touch with each other exchange news, views, uh, and expertise, uh, and be able to connect to everyone they want uh, instantaneously. Uh, great. And thank God we had money in 2020, right? That that went through. Exactly. So that's, I think, what, what's a really good example on how you how enthusiastic you see that people are, again, to meet each other. Uh, it was a, such a happy spirit uh, where people were actually much less talking about business, but much more about, hey, how you're doing, which I think was a really nice exception and made it a much friendlier place than usual, I would say. And um, so quite a pivot for Holland Fintech this year. Um, but if you looked sort of outside Holland Fintech at the space that is so familiar to you, global fintech, what was the one thing that really caught your eye? Well, I think that uh, one thing that I personally struggle with a bit is the, this, the global crackdown on money laundering, which uh, is a very good cause uh, in the end, but I still find feel that we're using the wrong methods to actually fight the, fight the race. So I think that's a big struggle. Two trillion, two trillion a year is lost. Eh? And it's just unbelievable. On every single exactly. product we do it and it still doesn't work. No, and I think that that's where, and I think in general you see that we're struggling to balance risk and reward uh, in, a, in a general sense. And I think that's the case here as well. The, the amount of money that gets caught uh, that should go into the tax system is still so limited compared to the amount of money that's spent to find it. Uh, and I think that the, the problem there is I, I don't think that the financial industry doesn't have responsibility because they do. But I'm afraid that customers at some point don't want to pay for this anymore. No, and, and I think that's the struggle that we run into. I don't think the banks can solve it alone, right? For and, sure. Uh, for sure. Uh, this is also where governments need to step up and uh, I think create much more of a general shared infrastructure uh, to solve this challenge. Uh, and I think the financial industry will help and also technology solutions are readily available to actually make this game much easier. Uh, but we should be all at the table to solve it. Yeah, yeah, correct. Hey, uh, Don, uh, zooming in on the banking space, um, we saw a lot of neo-banks, not neon banks, but neo-banks uh, fleeing back to their home countries, let's call it that way, like uh, N26 and Revolut. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that one? So I think in, uh, let's say, the, the, the last uh, two years, I think have been really tough for uh, parties that want to enter a market. I think in general, we've all fled to uh, well-known relationships. We, we went back into our comfort zone to a large extent, uh, and because that's what we could make work through these new channels like online meetings and, uh, and Zoom calls, uh, where I think uh, a lot of the new relationship that you would normally build in offline meetings and actual gatherings uh, were just much harder to get arranged. And I think that also created a big hurdle for a lot of organizations to actually enter new markets because people would were just not willing to work with unfamiliar brands unless the need was really high. Uh, and I think that's always how it works, right? I think that the, the jump from for customers to take on a new solution, the promise needs to be much bigger than what they currently have. Uh, and if you can't make that gap big enough, 
and the risk or the investment from a customer side is is too large because it's unfamiliar, uh, they don't feel comfortable yet, or they really need to change their way to such an extent that it also feels like a hurdle, uh, will just stop people from changing. Uh, And I think that's what we saw over the last two years to a large extent. So everyone had to go much more back to their established base. Yeah, but but the, all the investors, they um, they invested, of course, with the promise of growth. How are those uh, those neobanks going to grow then? So I think there, uh, the home markets probably offer a better ground because that when, when you certainly, when you have a certain traction, it's much easier to grow. So I can imagine that that's where they want to focus on to actually create a larger market share in the markets that are already established rather than trying to go in too many markets at the same time where they all have to fight to just get in. Uh, so I think that's one part. I think also the regulatory environment plays an important role here. I think that you see that, uh, well, we were just mentioning AML, but I think in, in general you see that regulators are becoming less uh, accommodating to newcomers uh, and trying to create much more level playing field uh, and take the same rules as incumbents have to play with. And that also makes it much less attractive actually to go into new markets because it's still a very big investment that you have to make to actually be able to operate to be operational there. Yeah. Well, you know, let's call in Chris Skinner. He's an old friend from Fintech Cappuccino. And not just that, he is literally one of the global thought leaders on the whole uh, challenger bank space. And let's see what he thinks of the challenger banks and what he feels the incumbents are doing right or wrong. Over to Chris. Chris, quick one. Uh, We're talking here in our Fintech Cappuccino podcast about uh, challenger banks and banks and what should we expect from them next year. So do you think the challenger banks have uh, achieved a lot this year? They've been mainly challenging themselves. Well, I've got a a strange prediction, which is that 2022 is the year of correction. And I think a lot of challenger banks will find the challenge they've been trying to create hasn't worked. Uh, There'll be a setback. There'll be a lot of challenger banks that will, I won't say fail, but they will narrow, cut down. And we've seen that this year with N26 and Monzo in the USA, for example. Um, So to a large extent, I think 2022 is the challenge for the challengers. Uh-huh. And what about the incumbent banks? Because they've been sort of uh, hiding in, in uh, under a COVID blanket. Um, do you think that they need to really, you know, get up and do something about it now? Well, I mean, they haven't ignored this space. They've been watching it for a decade and the incumbents have responded. Uh, but what's interesting is if you're a big, large bank, you know, just try and move you out of your big, large space is really difficult. And actually, um, the big, large banks are going to be bigger and larger. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts you want to share with us, 2022? The biggest for me is if we can democratize the financial network. The Bank of England just did their financial stability report and said that cryptocurrencies are destabilizing the financial network. If that is true, and if that actually happens, that would be phantasmagorical. So I'm watching that space. Thank you very much, Chris. Have a wonderful Christmas. Dive under the tree, mate. We're changing topics. So let's talk InsureTech. Don, what's happening in the insurance space? Um, It's going slow. 
We're trying to look in which way it's heading. That's not new. <laughs> exactly. We're trying to figure. We're trying to figure out which way it's heading, but it's the, at the pace. It's hard to uh, identify the direction. Uh, no, I think. Uh, let's say. I think there's a lot of interest for parts to change. Uh, I see, especially around environmental changes. Of course, are a hot topic there at the moment. Uh, where, of course, you see that their asset management lags have to shift gears. That they have to look into the increased risk potentially uh, go, coming from climate change, uh, as well as that they. They. I think insurers in general are relatively uh, well aware of their social responsibility. So uh, I think they're, they're, they always look at what society needs. And so they're really careful now to look at the whole ESG matter, I think, and jump in, uh, into that bandwagon. So I think that there, there is stuff happening. What you do see, of course, that, that I think, let's say, the whole cycle of uh, uh, procuring new solutions, working with new technologies, making it easy for the customer, uh, and actually the whole shift towards embedded finance uh, is going very, very slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you make the remark, uh, things are happening. I'm, I'm still not uh, convinced. I think that the insurers are still lagging behind. And um, well, I, well, let's. I know, I know what you're saying, Brian. Um, but I also know that uh, insured techs are doing an awful lot and they are doing way more exciting things than on the banking space because they use, for instance, uh, geospatial technologies. Uh, they're using uh, drones. You know, if you look at what the insured techs are doing, it's amazing. No, the for uptake sure. is a little uh, lagging. And, I think, and I, think they're, I think they're also, you see, the, especially the newcomers that all uh, cling together that are actually more doing more interesting stuff, right? So I think also there you see some neobanks, for example, that have reinvented the bank assurance uh, uh, model, uh, which I think is also a really interesting uh, field to see that back again. All right, let's uh, let's call uh, Roger. Okay. Roger Peverelli. Roger, are you on the phone? Hey, yes, I am. Uh, how are you? Very well, very well. Um, can I ask you uh, a quick question? Uh, you heard that I'm slightly cynical about the pace of innovation in insurance, um, and you're the man in the know. So, what's your view? Well. I sort of agree with you, Brian. I'm not that positive as well. Uh, what I see is that, uh, you know, like compared to banking, insurance is really five years behind. Look at the pace in which uh, banks embraced um, uh, mobile payments, for instance, and they really adapt like a mobile-only uh, strategy rather than a mobile-first. And um, there, I think there are various uh, reasons for that. Um, uh, first of all, I think that uh, many insurers still have vested interest in uh, in a, the traditional broker channels, which uh, which limit them in their uh, innovation efforts. I think also their DNA, you know, like it's really looking backward, looking at uh, old figures, uh, analyzing them, and see how they can move that forward. Uh, but I think that also they they lack a sort of a sense of urgency. Uh, uh, they have a very profitable existing book. And uh, that's something that uh, that's also determines their their behavior, I think. Well, um, what we do see is that there are a lot of uh, pilots and proof of concepts, but uh, hardly things that uh, that are at scale. And when I speak to uh, to insurtechs, they often say to me that uh, hey, this is not an incumbent that's going on a pilot safari, which basically means that this incumbent is engaging with uh, with um, insurtechs just to build skills and to build uh, knowledge but really not with the intention to uh, implement that scale. Uh, there's really a need to think much bigger than, uh, than what, 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 uh, what uh, they are currently doing. But having said that, you know, like we do see that uh, there's a, a change in, the, in mindset, especially the last two years have been um, a, a real wake-up call for, in, for the boardrooms. And um, they are more open now to uh, really uh, yeah, uh, move forward to the digital and data age. 
and um, that's really top of the agenda in boardrooms currently. So I'm not so positive about the past years, but definitely positive about the next few years. Good. Rocher, one question, because just before you joined us, I said that I am actually, when it comes to the insured techs, I'm actually rather optimistic because you see a wonderful uh, deployment of new technology there. What What is the most exciting insured tech you've seen uh, of last year? Well, uh, rather than speaking about one, uh, I think that it would be more interesting to think about, okay, what's currently happening in the space and why uh, I think that there is really... Um, we're at, the, we're at the brink of a perfect storm. There, there are several developments that we see taking place that, um, that really create that perfect storm. The first one is permanent shifts in customer behavior, especially in uh, life and health and in mobility. That really urges incumbents to, uh, to move forward when it comes to digital and data. The second is what I just mentioned, uh, that, that the digital mindset that's taking place now in, uh, in boardrooms. The third is that Introtech has become more mature in only five years, we see that there's enough funding available uh, currently. And uh, the focus is really to scale. We see that with investors. They look for more mature opportunities. But it also coincides with what incumbents really want currently. You know, like they want to work with mature insurtechs that allow them to, uh, yeah, to, uh, uh, to apply uh, across value chain uh, primary processes really at scale. And uh, you would need to do that with, uh, with, uh, with bigger companies. And the, the fourth reason is that we see all those new data streams, we see all those new advanced technologies, uh, AI solutions, uh, data solutions, and the four these four trends that will uh, result in um, in yeah a next level of insurance innovation in the age of data, and that's what's currently going to take place. So when you look at that, would be the context to see that there are lots of insurtechs who will drive um, uh, developments on all four of these trends and uh, well to name one i'm very fond of vitality uh, the concept from south africa uh, but um, uh, uh, you know like those are the things that uh, that are engaging customers and uh, create profitability but also increase relevancy among customers perfect well roger lots lots to think about and um, let's see if the vcs are going to dive into insure tech next year as well and and if the appetite for insurers to uh, to really get involved and to really change uh, slightly that appetite. faster yes a little bit faster please I, I think it's more likely that we will see uh, other parties moving in yeah probably yeah. <laughs> probably the, uh, the big data companies indeed well we at least are both curious and impatient so thank you very much Roger for your insights talk soon thank you very much Roger thank you bye bye so we're gonna shift gears again Connie we're talking about money yes money, money. Um, Roger just referred to it investors are looking for more mature opportunities and all the insights from the VC reports about the money flood this year we saw that as well we're going to see more of that in the future Okay. Don, let's look then first at, at the Netherlands, at Holland Fintech. Where did the money flow in the Netherlands? So I think you see that uh, the, the payment field remains uh, really high on the on the agenda, right? Uh, I think uh, even this week again, we saw another uh, round of 17 million being invested in, uh, in a new payments company. Uh, and it's actually like you, you like you have in the US, the PayPal mafia. You see the Adyen mafia now actually yeah. being quite active in the Amsterdam atmosphere. But it's turning into a red ocean, isn't it? Payment? Well, I, I still think that there's so much to do. It's, it's such a complex space. 
case and all let's say from both from a geographical level as well as on different markets level you see that the the, the required solutions are just so different uh, as well as that there's a lot of complexity in the value chain so you've got a lot of layers stacked on top of each other uh, where you see that these are being uh, reinvented layer by layer so the opportunity i think is enormous uh, and i still find it very funny to see that if you look at these payment companies they're worth way more than the banks that normally would think that this is you yeah. know mine yeah you know inferior business uh, that we don't have to interfere with and 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 you know we talked about you know uh, we're moving towards um in, uh, more mature investments and not so much the startup the hot startup scene but also in slightly more mature companies did you see that in the netherlands as well yeah i think in general you see that the the the, the money is being piled up in, in a higher heap so you see indeed vc funds mature uh, i see there also a potential risk actually because i don't see so much new vc funds coming to the market for the smaller ranges so potentially we create a really real value of death between you know angel investments and and the vc funds that are aiming for higher and higher uh, amounts yep so that's i think something we need to look out for at the same time i'm positive about the fact that we that let's say the vc funds in europe are now actually beginning to match up to the demands of the institutional investors let's say in europe we've just uh, piled up the money in two big heaps uh, at insurance companies and pension funds that are actually just, they couldn't make the match because they wanted to invest like 500 million or a billion. And there was just no room to make those kind of investments in Europe. No. And if you talk about that gap, uh, I actually, uh, you know, we had a meeting um, and you were actually there with um, our prime minister a few years ago. And we spoke about the fact that they should really, on the tax front, incentivize people to put their money into starting businesses. And so you could write it off if the company fails, which yeah. is not possible in Holland. It's possible in the UK. And therefore, there's way, way, way more people who are happy to be informal investors. Now that yeah. we're on the brink of getting a new minister of finance, are you going to put your boots on and go back to The Hague? We're, de- we're definitely going to flag that issue again, because indeed, they're still talking about it. And uh, uh, apparently, well, you know, that, of course, that uh, the tax system in the Netherlands is quite complex uh, with all its, uh, 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 basically, all the complex- complexities around that, also from a political angle. Uh, and I think that makes it really hard. But I think there is the, the will to do something about it. Uh, they just haven't figured out how. So where, where, where would you put your money in 2022, uh, Don? So uh, I think uh, RegTech remains a really important topic, uh, especially also moving uh, cl- moving closer to subtech because the regulators really need to move in. They're basically still demanding fax reports uh, from companies that are doing real-time trading globally. It doesn't make any sense, right? So uh, it's about time that they started to look at, uh, at uh, regulation and supervision with a data angle. Uh, and I think there's a really big ground to, ground to gain there. And a behavioral angle rather than old statistics. Exactly. So we, you need to be real time on the ball and you need to much better look at what's actually happening at the end of the customer. Uh, and I think that they don't have a clue at the moment. Uh, and this is a really big ground to gain. Uh, but at the same time, we also have a lot of work to do there to actually finalize the data discussion. Yeah. Because we currently, uh, there's a lot of talk about privacy, but people don't have any idea what they're talking about. And they're just looking at it from a risk perspective without actually looking at the value of uh, data for the customer, right? So everyone asks, for example, like, are you willing to share your data with party XYZ? But it's just about to say, like, are you willing to give 500 euros? Like, yeah. okay, for what? Right? Yeah. So th- you need to ask for what? <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you're just not finalizing the discussion. Context and relevance. Exactly. There you go. Guys, we're going to go to the last topic uh, of this uh, of this podcast. And um, we're going to talk about tech in the world of fintech. So really tech tech. Don, what are the developments that caught your eye in 2021? And if you look in your... Deep tech, new tech, hot tech. What's the next big thing in 2020? 
There are two questions, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would then actually refer to the security uh, area. Uh, I think, of course, recently we've been uh, very much occupied by a Neo4j uh, as a, a, a new big security breach. And I don't think we've seen the loss of that yet. So uh, I think uh, due to COVID, we've actually been very much occupied with other stuff. Uh, with basically going digital in general, I think now we're going back to the back end uh, in 2022 to actually figure out that some of the things that we've built so hastily uh, might re- require some revision. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of security challenges. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to uh, throw this topic at one of our other fintech cappuccino friends, Dave Burge. And Dave Burge already uh, told me that he uh, he's on to the metaverse. So we're going to uh, shop in uh, in a virtual space. We're going to buy NFTs and hang them on our virtual walls. I'm very, gonna. I have a very strong second life feeling with uh, the metaverse. I don't yeah. know about you. But. Exactly. Exactly. I'm gonna. Apparently, I'm gonna wear uh, one time uh, top designer dresses uh, in 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 the metaverse, um, and all of that is happening. Uh, no, Dave is going to take us through it, like you know, investing in digital assets, online shopping, remote work to the extreme. Hi, Dave. Hey, Connie. How's it going? Yeah, great. We're talking uh, uh, new tech and looking forward, but I think 2022 is a bit too early. So as you're like a slot machine in general, Dave, I'm going to throw in a coin and uh, say and push on the button called Metaverse. Uh, Well, um, actually, the Metaverse, I think, is not as stupid as a lot of the other ideas that we hear flying around in the DeFi world at the moment. And the reason why I think that is because the kind of virtual world environments have been around for many, many years, right? So, I mean, we can all remember the early days of Second Life and, and so on. And actually, I saw an interview with um, Philip Rosedale, who's the guy that invented Second Life. And he said, um, you know, it, it, it always lacked having a digital currency. It couldn't have a, a real economy. And that kind of sort of set me thinking because in the metaverse, we actually have two things coming together, which create something interesting. So, so on the one hand, we have the virtual worlds. And, um, you know, I mean, whether you do it through uh, text or sound or the glasses things that uh, Mark Zuckerberg's talking about, we need immersive first virtual worlds where people can feel um, at home. And we have those, and we have lots of experience in building them. What those didn't have was property. You know, they, the, the fundamental requirement for an economy is that you have you have property. And so you had a situation where, you know, you could have your, I mean, I'll pick a silly example, obviously, but, you know, you, you play, you know, you're in the world of Warcraft, you have your magic sword, but it's not really your magic sword. It belongs to Blizzard Entertainment. And Blizzard Entertainment can duplicate it or delete it anytime they like. What's different when you come into this sort of crazy world of NFTs is that actually in the metaverse, NFTs kind of make sense. So I don't really care about stupid pictures of chimpanzees. I mean, you know, if people want to make a business out of that, good luck to them. But this idea that in, you, you have virtual spaces where suddenly you can actually own things, you can own uh, land or objects or the rights to things, and you can trade with them with digital currencies in those environments, I think that is different. So I think when you when you take those two things, the virtual worlds, they've been around for a long time, but have never really had a kind of real economies. You see these little examples where people are beginning to experiment with that. And when you when you put that together with real property, so now you have NFTs, which means people can actually own things, 
then you do see a transformation. So, yeah, I actually, you, I thought you were, you were going to expect me to say that it's all stupid and it's amazing, but actually that's not what I think. I think you're, you're onto something here, Connie. I think, I think the metaverse has actually got something going for it. And how do you think the financial system we know today can um, find a place in this metaverse? Well, look, as soon as you have property, you have the basis for a financial system. And we already have, there, there are already businesses that operate as um, pawn shops, for example, for NFT. And this sounds crazy, but this already exists. You you have an NFT you're not using, you can, you can um, put it in the pawn shop. And if you don't repay... Uh, the NFT transfers to the ownership of the pawn shop. We have people already making loans against virtual collateral, people putting up. And and actually, you can sort of see an efficiency here, you see, because you put up collateral, you borrow. But if you don't repay, the collateral just goes to the ownership of the person that provided the loan. And these things are all over collateralized. So there's very little actual credit risk in them. So so when you say, how could it be? I would say, actually, you can already see the, the sort of little building blocks of a new and different, and actually, and I kind of agree with people that think this. I mean, the, the the reason why a lot of the finance guys, not the chimpanzees with glasses guys, but the serious finance guys, the reason why they're interested in it is because it's a world that doesn't have clearing and settlement. So all of the all of the transactions are immediate. And with the cost savings that are attendant on that, you can see why people would begin to think, well, you know, trading um you know, uh, NFTs of actual gold uh, in a metaverse might be cheaper than trading, you know, other kinds of instruments and this sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's not crazy. I think there's really something bubbling. There. But Dave, I, I'm an old guy. So these two worlds, the virtual world with land and, and, and ownership and property and, and, and the real world, will it ever mingle, you think? Well, look, I mean, we joke about it sometimes, the extent to which, uh, I mean, we say this about kind of, actually, I get mixed up. What are kids now? Are they, are they Gen Z or Gen Q or something? I can't remember. But, um, you know, we already joke about how they don't distinguish between real and virtual. And we have, you know, this um, trend, you know, people thinking about augmented reality and that sort of thing. So I, I don't see that merge as being, as being that crazy. I really don't. And the idea that some people will earn a living in those virtual worlds, um, I can't resist calling it the suburbs rather than, rather than the suburbs. Um, people will choose to live and work in the suburbs because it gives them more safety, more security. I don't think that's crazy. I think I think you can see that coming. Okay, so with that, Dave, we're going to uh, thank you. Maybe you have one uh, last thoughts under your virtual Christmas tree for us. <laughs> well, look, I'm not a statistical sample of the fintech sector, uh, Connie. But if you ask me what, what I'm actually working on at the moment, probably two thirds of my time right now is actually going on central bank digital currency. So what clients are actually interested in, uh, it will be the metaverse uh, soon. So I'm already interested in that. But actually most of the work right now is around central bank digital currency because the implications for the value chain in the payment space are quite significant. So even if you think digital currency is two, three, four years away, if you're a player in that space, if you're a PSP or a player, then, then you have to start thinking about what your strategies are going to be downstream. So yeah, so back in the real, it's always, back in it's the a, real world. Knowing what you're doing, 
Yeah, knowing what you're doing is always a good uh, uh, barometer for what's things to come. So thank you very much, Dave. And I have to say on behalf of Brian and myself, we very much look forward to seeing you in the real world. I can't wait to get back again soon, Gray. I hope at some point in some point in the next year we'll be allowed back in again. So I'll see you. We will. We will meet. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Dong. So besides metaverse, we haven't touched other important topics like transparency. Uh, right, the new world order, DeFi, those kind of things, and sustainability, ESG. Um, what is your prediction on these topics for 2022? So I think in general, uh, so DeFi, of course, really interesting uh, what's going on there. I think it's still relatively early days, but I see some very encouraging initiatives. Uh, with regard to reporting and transparency, I think that's all right in the sort of data flow. So I think everyone now is looking at, you know, where can I find data about where my investments or uh, my financing actually is being used for? And uh, because I might be held accountable for everything that goes on there. And so that, that data build is, is becoming very strong. And that provides a really big data hunger, I think, across the world. And a lot of tech players are actually playing into that. So you can, can get great uh, input already by looking at, you know, using satellite data or real-time uh, supply chain data or even, you know, crowdsourced data to actually get information about what's going on in your environment uh, that potentially could pose a reputational risk or, uh, you know, could actually offer you the choice of doing better for the world, uh, according to ESG. And of course, as, as the coming year is actually the year that every, every financial institution is, is will be obliged to report on their ESG, uh, I think you'll see this, this the discussion moving forward very fast. Yeah, I saw even um, startups um, experimenting with all your payments data that they can immediately see your uh, carbon your footprint. Uh, your footprint, your carbon footprint, yeah. etc. It's really taking off now. Yeah, so there's, not, there's, there's all this kind of nudging information that would actually also be delivered to consumers is really interesting, of course. And I think uh, uh, I find this very interesting, but we still need to figure out as well to do the same thing with regard to financial decision-making, right? So I think uh, well, consumer... funds could benefit from this, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So they will We'll probably also look into these kind of technologies to uh, to to make customers smarter in their day-to-day decision making. Yeah. What is? Oh, I also have a question for you, Brian. I oh. want to know your prediction. What tech are you gonna? What subject are you gonna follow next year? Um, What's keep catching your eye? Well, basically, uh, I think we already touched it. Um, I'm very much looking into the whole fraud, AML, security space. Very interesting, yeah. and also, of course, the crypto and the, and the, and the, and the underlying technology. Yeah. How about you, Connie? Well, I'm also intrigued by something, but maybe because uh, I've worked so much with incumbent banks and transformation programs, and I see so much uh, debt piling up in old pro in, in old packages, old solutions, trying to migrate, uh, merge banks together, etc. And so, what I find interesting is that you see a new sort of deep tech uh, segment rising up around uh, technical debt. And it doesn't sound sexy, but as you know, I've always been in payment. So, you know, my challenge is always to make the non-sexy sexy. But I think it's extremely sexy if, if you're in work in a big bank and you can literally put a debt on sort of the layered bad computer programming stuff that you have piled up over the years and how you can deal with that. And I think it's also very interesting for VCs if they look at companies to buy, like how much technical debt is there in a company. There's a mm. tiny, there's a lovely young startup in the Netherlands looking at that, Skuld, S-K-U-L-D. Um, but it's becoming a segment I see with the analysts. So uh, All right. 
Hey, but we're at the end of talking about debt. I'm sure we all have to do our uh, Christmas shopping, etc. So my debt will pile up, that's for sure. Uh, and we have to end up this uh, this podcast, uh, unfortunately, but not before, of course, thanking uh, Don. It's been a lot of fun, uh, yeah, Brian and Connie. It's always good to uh, to meet up. For so. sure. Love to have everyone at the table for a Christmas dinner next uh, next time uh, when we're out of COVID measures uh, because we had a great group together. Today. Wouldn't we all? Thanks, Don. Thanks, Connie. And everybody, Merry Christmas. Once we start, no turning back Feel the groove and you will move to this all night long Once you learn, you start to grow Once you grow, you start to know Respect yourself and the rest will flow For people wanting to lecture themselves and others on anything fintech, I suggest you follow Don closely at hollandfintech.com or on Twitter and LinkedIn. Curious which weekend music Don brought with him? Check it out on www.fintechcappuccino.com slash Christmas 2021. Don, thank you for participating and joining us here at the kitchen table in the Fintech Cappuccino podcast. And thank you to our listeners to listening to Fintech Cappuccino. Don't want to miss another cup? Subscribe to a podcast via Spotify, iTunes, or where you would like to listen to your podcasts. And please give us a like, a review, so many more Fintech Cappuccino lovers can find us. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>